Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Let's pray as we open the word together. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. My message is entitled, Recapturing Our First Love. Recapturing Our First Love. Father, we do thank you. We love you. We declare our love for you as we worship you. And now as we open your word. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. You You show us where we are. You show us where we're going. Lord, we need your light the word. We need your light to show us today where we're going. I pray for your conviction. I pray for your encouragement. I pray that you would capture our hearts and in some cases recapture our hearts today. As we open your word, we we just know the possibilities for some of us that are, whether we're watching or we're in this room, you can change our lives. Your word is that powerful. So we pray that you would, God, heal our hearts, change our lives, In some cases, Lord, we pray that our direction would shift as a result of what you say through your word today. So the words that are from you, Lord, let them stick, let them convict, let them encourage. The words that are from me, let them fall into the background. We want what you have, and we thank you for it today. In Jesus' mighty name, and God's people said, amen and amen. We had already talked about Uh, through the book of Revelation in chapter 1, and I shared with you many things that provide a context for the entirety of the book of Revelation, namely that the apostle John, one of the closest disciples to the Lord Jesus himself, wrote this book. He wrote many other books of the Bible as well, but he wrote this book in his mid-90s, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos because he was a political prisoner at that time, most likely because he didn't pay homage to the Roman emperor Domitian at the time. He He was the emperor who declared basically divinity, that he was God, and he, of course, wanted everyone to worship him. So when you go into the marketplace, you could light incense and pay homage to or worship him. And most scholars believe that the reason that John was exiled to the island of Patmos as a political prisoner was probably because at some point along the way, he's an uncompromising apostle of Jesus. He's just not going to worship the emperor. He's not going to declare Caesar as Lord. He declares Jesus Christ is Lord. And he probably got in trouble at some point. And the Roman emperor heard that the last living apostle um, was found in some way not doing what he was supposed to do. And he sent for him and probably wanted him to right then and right there worship him. And he didn't. You know, he's just this 95-year-old uncompromising disciple of Jesus. Don't you want to be that? I just read that and I go, my goodness, I want to be that. Not stubborn in the world's eyes, but you're just convicted because of God's word and your loyalty to King Jesus. And so here John is, he's there for 16 months with his assistant Prochorus. And he enters into, there's this cave where they most likely lived for those 16 months. We now call it the Cave of the Revelation. And Jesus, he has an open vision of the Lord Jesus that causes him to fall to the ground. He sees the resurrected, glorified Christ. He has an encounter with Jesus and sees him in a way that he'd never seen him before. And it was through that that Jesus gives him a message for the seven prominent churches in Asia Minor. And that's actually what Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is focused on, is these seven churches and the seven messages that Jesus gave to the Apostle John for them. 
the message is going to go first to Ephesus, which we're going to study today, and then Smyrna, Pergamum, and then all the way down to Laodicea. That's how Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is laid out. It's the Roman roads that go from one city to the next. And what we find is five out of the seven churches that Jesus is going to speak to through the Apostle John, it lays out sort of this typical template where Jesus will give a commendation and a complaint and a correction. And that's how I'm going to share with you today, using those as sort of categorical points of what Jesus is sharing as a message to his church. And don't you want to hear what Jesus said to his church in those days and apply it to our lives today? Where the commendation is true, may it be also the same for us. Where the complaint is true of us, we want to receive the correction and choose to repent, and I pray that that would be the case for each one of us. I told you to turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to read seven verses. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus I write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Another translation says you have not quit. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. I will remove your influence as a church. It will not exist anymore. Verse 6, Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. little quick context here for the city of Ephesus. Very important. I've already told you, prior to this message, that John lived there, some believe, for 30 years. John was very well acquainted with not only all of the churches that he writes to, but the pastors as well. And so, John, this is going to be very close to home, close to his heart. We know that Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, and it had right around 250,000 people. It's a very important commercial center with ports and routes that lead throughout the region for trade and... um, sales of all kinds. We know the temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it was located in Ephesus. This is how large it was. It was 220 feet by 425 feet, the largest, if not the largest, one of the largest religious structures in the world at that time. While there was a large Jewish population here, it was mostly pagans. And this is important to know because many of those that John is going to be writing to, Paul ministered among, obviously, for three years. We see in Acts chapter 19 and 20, they're coming out of pagan worship, worshiping idols, which we read about in the book of Acts. And I've already told you, of course, in Acts 20, we know Paul ministered there for three years. He left Timothy in charge as the pastor of the church of Ephesus. They're about 30 years old as as a church at this point. And this is the context for which they receive the message of Jesus, 30 years as a church, And here are the things that Jesus is going to say. Before we look at the message that Jesus conveys, 
I want to just clarify a couple things in verse 1 because sometimes we read past these things with the metaphoric language and we forget what is being said. Verse 1 says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, You might remember from chapter 1, the seven stars represent the angels of the seven churches. Now, we don't believe, I don't at least, from my study, that these are actually angelic beings. You can get confused because the book of Revelation has so many angels that that are referenced. So sometimes we can think, well, this is a message from Jesus through John to angels over each city, over each church. I don't think that's what is meant at all because the word for angel, the original language, literally means messenger. So I believe that these were a message to the pastors of these churches, these seven churches. And John had a relationship with them, so it makes sense. But you notice a very powerful statement, and maybe you don't stop at this statement if you're not a pastor, but I stop at this statement because he says, I hold the seven stars in my right hand. I hold these pastors in my hand. It's a comforting statement, but it's a convicting statement for me. It's a serious charge. And I know Maybe sometimes there, it could be true that in the Western world, we don't honor authority, spiritual authority. We're skeptical of pastors. I know you're not of me. Of course you're not. But it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty true. We're very skeptical of leaders and pastors. But there's a serious charge in Scripture. Actually, all over the Bible, there's a serious charge for spiritual leaders. And there's a responsibility also to each one of us as a congregation under spiritual authority. And we see that he holds the seven stars in his hand. It also goes on to say that Jesus walks among the golden lampstands. The golden lampstands are also defined in chapter 1 as the seven churches for which these messages are given. I just wanted to note a couple things. First is it says that Jesus walks in the midst of the golden lampstands, the churches. Jesus walks in the midst of his church. Hear that. He walks in the midst of his church, and it was from that place that he observes the deeds of the church. It's from that place that he speaks these messages to John, wanting him to convey to the pastors of these churches. Jesus sees everything. He's in the midst of Northwest Church. Come on, somebody. He is in the midst of this church. You don't have to see him to know that. He says, I walk in the midst of the golden lampstands, and I love this picture of the church, you know, we live in a time where it's, we, we look at the church as this tarnished thing, this, this thing that we, we, we look down on, and so many are so quick to talk bad about. But Jesus says golden lampstands, not just clay, golden, precious, pure metal, the golden lampstands. We may not look like gold right now, but Jesus calls his churches golden lampstands, precious and pure. May we speak the same words about the church of Jesus Christ that he himself speaks. Oh, it's far too easy to talk bad about the church, but that's not, the, that's not what Jesus says. That's not what Jesus says. You can look at your neighbor and say, you look like gold today. That took too long. Did you have to pray about it before you did that? What did you do? Golden lampstands. We notice a pattern, like I said, in these messages, commendation, complaint, correction. Let's look here at the commendation of Jesus 
for the church at Ephesus. This is verse 2 and 3. I'll read it to you again. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. You found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. There are three things that I see just from this passage right here. The commendation of Jesus, number one, he's saying, you have worked hard and you've served well. I know your deeds and I know your toil. And doesn't that make sense? Because he just said, I'm in the midst of the church. I I know. He's not around the church. He's in the middle. I know your deeds. I know your toil. I've seen you work hard. I've seen you serve well. In fact, Jesus is saying, I'm proud of you. This is to be commended. This is commendable. You serve well. You serve hard. You, You give of your time. You're sacrificial in this way. And let me say to you, this, we're not the church at Ephesus, we're the church at Federal Way. But Jesus sees everything we do. He also sees everything that we should have done or, or haven't done. Jesus sees everything. And I want to tell you that regardless of what we think of the smallest of things when we serve or the biggest of things, Jesus sees them from the small to the great. He sees them and he's proud of us when we serve him. And he loves it. Just like a father and a mother are proud of their kids when they do the right thing. When they serve someone else, aren't you as a parent proud of your kids? You're thankful. You're like, this is what I've been teaching you for years and years and years and you don't do all the time, but I'm so proud of you right now. I'm not fleshing out my emotions to you today. Not at all. I owe my kids a lot. Hmm. Nothing goes unnoticed by the Lord. Nothing. This is why our attitude and our hearts towards serving others, whether that be in the church or in the world, is so important. This is about good behavior. He sees the good behavior. I see your good deeds. I see them. The second thing he says as a commendation, you've exercised good discernment and you've rejected compromise and false teachers. These are good beliefs. You have good behaviors and you have good beliefs. They had discernment. They understood the gospel. They knew the word of God. And they used the word of God to clarify that which was false. They could detect what was false in their midst. And Jesus was proud of them for that. He actually goes on to say in verse 6, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans and so do you. And I'm thankful about that. Who were the Nicolaitans? Many scholars debate over who they were, but they're a group of supposed Christians who are teaching what we might call mixture. They're teaching a soft version of the gospel. They're teaching a view that you can mix worldliness and Christianity, and it doesn't have that great of an effect. It's inconsequential. Like sort of today, we, maybe I'm dating myself. I've only been a Christian for 22 years, but that's long enough to remember some terms that aren't popular anymore. And there's one of them. You'll remember this one. Remember the term worldly Christians? No, because you never use that term judging anybody. Oh, they're just, they're worldly Christians. No, you didn't say that. That was a term that was used. Worldly Christians. Some, sometimes we'll say carnal Christians. And this, the Nicolaitans were proponents of that. They, they espoused a kind of teaching that was mixed with so much compromise that it affected people's lives. You can imagine in the city of Ephesus, they came out of pagan worship. They went into temples, ladies and gentlemen, to have sex with prostitutes, to worship other gods. This was normal behavior. And so some are still struggling with that. 
You know, maybe we do that stuff on the computer today and we act like it's not the same thing, but it is. And they would say, hey, you can have a little bit of this and you can have a little bit of that. And God winks at it. It's no problem. No problem at all. God's not angry at you for that. Well, they're right. God's not angry, but sin is sin. And it will destroy you and it will destroy your relationship with God. And Jesus says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans and so do I. And I'm proud of you because you're rightly discerning falsehood, Gnostic teaching and other things that were going on during that time, which you can read about in 1 John. Self-motivated teaching where it's all about self. Jesus isn't at the center of the gospel. Today we have the, some call it the health and wealth gospel. Does God heal? Of course he does. Does God make some of us increase for his kingdom purposes? Sure. But is that the point? <laughs> is that the point that we would increase to increase? Right? Maybe a modern version of the Nicolaitans is, is the same things that we see today. The things that we ultimately are disgusted with when it comes to teaching because it doesn't glorify Jesus. And we sniff that. We can smell that when it's cooking in the kitchen. We, we know what that's like. Every, everybody likes to hear, you know, I'm, I'm going to be successful and God wants to give me everything I ever wanted and everything's going to be perfect and nothing's ever going to be wrong. Yeah, that, that message might sell, but it don't work. No, what works is what he gives on the inside is more powerful than anything that happens on the outside. What he gives is eternal. It's more precious than silver and gold. That's what Jesus died for. He didn't just die for external worldly happiness. He died for our holiness and our eternity. And so you could see there's mixture today. There was mixture then. We see all that stuff. If I stepped on a landmine there, I, I didn't mind doing it. He also said, you've suffered without giving up. The Ephesian church held to the purity of the gospel in the face of cultural expectation, rejection with while exercising discernment with those who taught an easier way. This is an incredible church. You see the good beliefs. You see the good deeds. So they believe rightly. They're doing right things. I can imagine, like, just here's the context. Like, John receives the vision and the message, and then he gives that to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And you have to remember, they're not big churches like we are. They're, they're 15, 20 people gathered into these smaller homes. And so the pastor's excited. I got a message from John, but John received this from Jesus, and we're gonna, who's the true pastor of the church. And I'm going to read this. Here's 15 to 20 people. Hey, gather around, gather around, get your kids. Okay, everybody gather around. He reads this message. He reads verse 2. He reads verse 3. I mean, there were no verses and chapter divisions until 1551 or whatever, but, you know, he reads those words, and he says all these things, and I bet they're excited. Come on, if, if Jesus said these things of Northwest Church, we, everybody would be smiling, mask or no mask. We would be smiling. We would be grateful. This is Jesus. This is not Pastor Ben just trying to pump you up. This is Christ the true pastor of the church, they're excited. And they get to this point. <laughs> they get to this point where something else is about to be said. The complaint of Jesus. Just, just, just picture the emotion, though. I, sometimes it's all about the historicity of the word, the grammar of the word, but we forget the emotion of those that originally heard this. And Jesus, through John, says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Some translations say you've abandoned, you've forsaken. I don't think that's the greatest translation. You have left your first love. 
You've left. I just want that to sink in. You have left your first love. Can, can you picture what they're thinking when they get those words? <laughs> they're so excited. The commendation was so good. Good beliefs, good deeds, good, 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 good. We're doing good. I have this against you. Oh, man, that'll sober you up real quick. Maybe I'm going to put it to you another way because this might be how, how I would take this. I'm offended by this about you. Yeah. No, Jesus doesn't carry offense, but I'm offended that, that this has become normal in your midst. I'm just going to use a word that just kind of touches down a little bit. I'm, I'm offended by this. This is something that bothers me. I have this against you that you have left your first love. The New Living Translation says, I have this plaint against, complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you once did. You used to love me in such a way, and that has changed. I think what's being said here is there's been an exchange of priorities. I don't, I don't believe that Jesus is saying, you don't love me at all. What's being said here is you've left your first love. You've exchanged priorities. The good beliefs and the good deeds that used to come from your love for me. Think about this. We love Jesus so much that we want to know his word, and we want to be sure that we're right. That's where it first comes from. And we love Jesus so much that we're willing to do anything. I want to serve him. Uh, where can I serve? Children's ministry, sure. Northwest Church, sure. Where can I serve? Anywhere. I'm not gifted in that area. It doesn't matter. I'm there. I'll do anything. Why? Because I love Jesus. And you go down the road for a period of time, and then things change. And now it goes from, I'm doing this because I love Jesus, to I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to be doing this, right? And we've exchanged it and we've become passionate about becoming watchdogs because we're the ones that are keeping the gate of Christianity. We're holding back the flood of all the false teaching and the false doctrine. We become so passionate about not getting it wrong that we leave our first love. Don't tell me that doesn't happen. It happens. We become so passionate about obscure, weird, strange Greek words in the original language. We become so passionate about even hearing good teaching. We become so passionate about just studying or just making sure that we, that we always have our devotional time, but our hearts don't burn for Jesus like they once did. And it's evident in the way that we treat people because if we love Jesus, we will love people. It flows out of that. Let me just say this to you. Our communion with Jesus is what caused all of these things that we do for Jesus to originally flow. But when we start to leave our first love, we realize that we just do the things without the love for Jesus and we run dry so quickly. Has that happened to you? Yeah, it happens to all of us. There, there, there needs to be a place of renewing our hearts in him. This, this is why, this is why, a shameless plug. This is why I think, whether it's online or it's in person, being a part of a local fellowship is so important for us to renew our hearts, for us to refresh ourselves in his presence. Because if it's just me, myself, and I, something will go wrong. God does not always think the way I do. <laughs> you know that? God does not always, you know, if you are always right about everything God thinks, I wonder if maybe we've allowed our minds to become God. 
I'm getting in trouble. No, I'm not. It's exhausting. You know, we ought to have good deeds. We want to have good beliefs. Why, why would we put that down? That's a commendation of Jesus. But, but he has this indictment. He, he, he says there's something wrong. There is something seriously wrong. And I think that it becomes exhausting in difficult days to protect the faith that was passed down to us. It's right to do it, but it can become exhausting. We go through battles in life, and sometimes we don't stop to take inventory of what we've lost. I think what we've gone through in the last year here has caused us to lose some things. Maybe we've lost our zeal. Maybe we've lost our passion. Maybe we've lost our desire to serve the Lord. Maybe we have lost our love for people because we're so upset. You know, anger is it's just so real today. It's so real, and it's justified. It's justified. I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to let your anger continue to go and grow when your heart isn't in love with Christ right here and right now. You say, well, Ben, I love Jesus. I, I, I'm not saying you don't love him at all. I'm just wondering if maybe we can relate to the Ephesian church and Jesus' own indictment against them, you've left your first love. Maybe you didn't mean to, but you left. You at least left like you left your wallet at home and you realized you were driving without your ID. What identifies you? Maybe you left it at home. <laughs> so excited about where you're going, so excited about what you're doing, you forgot, you left. You left something that's important. Well, how do we know if we've left our first love? Thank you for asking. I'm going to share with you some signs that might help us today. Number one, first breathe. All right, keep doing that. Point number one. That's right. <laughs> Just keep moving forward. We allow our knowledge of God and his truth to tell us our relationship with him is strong. We allow our knowledge of God and his truth to tell us our relationship with him is strong, our past. <laughs> A bad illustration, and I totally apologize in advance, but I'm going to say it anyways. It's like people, some of you are like this, and I, and I love you. I don't understand you, but I love you, is that you're born and you just have like, like a six-pack starts to emerge like as soon as a six-pack can come. Like you're thin and you're just, you're just born chiseled. Like la-la-la-la-la-la, bam! You, you don't have to work out. You don't have to work hard. I know I'm judging. Go ahead, just let me go ahead and do my thing here. But you, you just, you, and it looks like you're in shape, but you don't work. You haven't worked out. But you'll take the credit, won't you? You haven't worked. You've done nothing. I grew up with a couple people like this. You've done nothing. Walk around with your shirt off. Put it back on. <laughs> Talking about men here, of course. All right. You just, you just, you just, you just got it going on. Just toned and all that. And uh, and yeah, yeah. I, 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 but you know, you're not in shape. You start running. You get like a quarter mile in. You're done. You are done. And I got some extra pounds, and me and you are in the same boat. You just don't look like me. But I eat one Oreo, man, and I better get on the treadmill. You understand? But this is what it's like. You know, just the outward can make it seem like you're in shape. You ain't in shape. Sometimes 
our devotion to good deeds and good beliefs makes it seem like we're in love with Jesus, and we're not. We've left our first love, the passion for him, searching our hearts, having him be Lord. If there's any wicked way in me, Lord, anything that you see, any attitude, anything that isn't loving people, isn't going out of my way, isn't willing to sacrifice anything. If there's any, and you, and you say that, you're, you're so in love with him, and, 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 and you know that all you want is him. All you want is his presence. All you want is for him to say what is true, not what you want to hear. And, and that's all that matters, right? You, 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 you can, well, I know the Bible, and I've known the Bible, and, and, we, and we judge other people and, and all of that, you know. He's a good judge. He doesn't need our help. He does not need our help. Number two, we see and interact with God transactionally rather than relationally. Prayers become, Lord, this is what I need, rather than, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to see you. I want to experience you. I want to know you more deeply. We see people as a threat of evil rather than a target for love. Yeah. Yeah, 2020. Punched you in the face too. (laughs) A couple times. I'll be honest, I won't go into it, but I've, I've never, I've never had some of the thoughts go through my mind <laughs> that I've had in 2020. Never. I don't even want to share them with you. It's not worth it. But I have to take authority over those thoughts because it's not who I am, right? If you sin, if you sin, whether that's an attitude or, or any outward thing, Father, thank you that is not who I am. Thank you that I am new in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you are renewing my mind through the washing of your word. Thank you that the Holy Spirit lives in me. Father, thank you that Jesus died and he rose again for the forgiveness of my sins and the promise of not only new life to come, but new life right here and now. Thank you, Lord, this is not who I am. Please cleanse me from all unrighteousness in Jesus' mighty name, living ever before God in such a way. People are not a threat of evil. We love people, and the outflow of our love for Jesus is a love for people. If you find that you are not loving people and you're struggling with how you see people, regardless of what their belief system, I'm not concerned about what people believe. I am concerned that they don't have a clear presentation of the gospel. I would have never cared about anybody in this room had I not met Jesus Christ. It's just a fact. And so the, the, the gospel of Jesus reconciles the evils of our world because it is that powerful, because it is from God. God is the only one able to reconcile us, both to him and to one another. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is able to do what we are never able to do. I've been a Christian 22 years. I've lived through all kinds of movements of what we're going to do now. We're going to end this, and we're going to deal with that. And I've, I've lived through cycles of them. And usually, they come around the same cycle as the election. Usually. And it just so happens. And we, we go through these cycles of caring about things and posting rather than doing you know, because that's what matters, right? If we just post about it, it means we care, right? No, it doesn't mean that. God knows our deeds and our words. But we, we, we distance ourselves from people because they disagree with us. For the Christian, it's not acceptable 
You may differ with me, but I'm totally willing to bounce right up to you in our disagreements and try to influence you with the word of God in every way possible to annoy you, absolutely, <laughs> to, be, to suffer at the hands of others because I am so willing to give myself for them that they might know Jesus. That isn't maybe always true of me, but it should be true of all of us. I am I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not surprised that people who don't know Jesus don't believe what Jesus says. Because there was a time where I didn't as well. I am actually more concerned that the people of Jesus aren't concerned that the folks that don't know him truly come to know him. That concerns me. We cease to help people through loving acts, generosity, kindness, evangelism, We treat the church as a place rather than a people. There's consumerism that enters into our hearts. We become content with where we are in Christ rather than longing for more. See, I'm just going to punch this thing in the face. Like, if we're okay with where we are as though there's not more, as though Jesus is not inexhaustible, and our relationship with him is, is, is supposed to increase day in and day out, like, like we're okay with where we are, like we're complacent. And, and we're apathetic, and it's fine. Like, no problems, nothing's wrong. Everything is wrong when we're lukewarm. Those are the steps that go down that road. They just go down the wrong road. And what we do is we justify it's not that bad. It's not about how bad it's not. It's about us taking steps and increasing in our love for God and doing everything that he calls us to. Listen, this is a radical book, okay? This is a radical book of people that encountered God and sacrificed everything for him. Let's not act like it's something different. Let's not do that. I don't care what version of Christianity sells in whatever nation, but what I know when I read this book is I am convicted if I am seriously letting it read me and not just me read it. Sacrificial obedience is the call of this book to every follower of Jesus. We minimize others in their pain rather than serve, love, and pray for them. We've, our love, our communion with God is what all of these things come out of, our wanting to be right in our beliefs and our wanting to do good unto others and love people well and serve hard. And what John is saying, what Jesus' message through John is, it's that you have exchanged your priorities These things once came out of communion with me, but no longer is there that passion, that zeal, that love for me, that that willingness to take inventory, that willingness to invite me in. That's not there anymore. And so I have this against you. And if the indictment is true for us, we've got to say, oh God, may it change, may it shift in my life. Bring me back to a place of loving you like never before. And Jesus moves then into the correction How do we recapture our first love? He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first. Remember from where you have fallen. Reflect on how far you have fallen. Now, in Ephesus, they have a background. They have a history. Acts chapter 19 shares where they come from. They were delivered from idol worship. They were set free from the power of demonic spirits, and they witnessed miracles, signs, wonders. God confirmed the gospel among them powerfully. They burned all of their occult and magic books. I mean, this is, they have a burn barrel, and they get all of their garbage. 
all of these incantations and spells and magic books and all these things, and they throw them publicly in front of all the pagans, all those that didn't bow their knee to Jesus. They throw all that stuff into the barrel, and they let it burn in front of everybody. That's a good worship service right there. Now, I've been present for a couple of those. Remember from the heights to which you have fallen. Remember where you come from. Remember where you come from and recapture the passion for Christ. Why? Because when you remember what Jesus has done in your life, it brings you back to that passion that you once had for him. I don't know what it was like for you, but I remember what it was like for me. I know who I was, and I've had constant reminders off and on throughout the years to remind me of what Jesus did in my life. Not how great my obedience is, not how great of a pastor I may or may not be, not, not how much of a servant I am, not the perspective that others have of me or the opinions or the views of others, but what does Jesus see? You just come back to a place where none of that matters and all that matters is your love for him. The simplicity of devotion to Christ. It's simple. I love Jesus, and so you're almost willing to do anything. I'll just be honest with you, and, and, and I'm not trying to manipulate you at all, but I remember I was at a small Assembly of God church when I was 19 years old, almost 20 at the time. I'd just given my heart to Jesus, and this preacher gets up, and he gives like a 45-minute message on tithing that I'm pretty sure would repulse me right now. I mean, I totally believe in tithing through the local church. So it's not my manipulation of you. If you go to the membership class, I'll, I'll teach all about it. Because I don't want your money. I, ju- I just believe in kingdom principles. That's where I come from. I heard one message at 19, didn't know the Bible. The guy talks about tithing, and I tithe ever since. That's just where I was. I was like, Jesus wants me to do that? I'm in. 10% of my income? No problem. Whereas today, we're like, what does that pastor want my money for? So I'm going to go buy a vacation home. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, that sounds cool. I just, that would never happen. I, you know, because I've preached against so many things, everybody would, eyebrows would raise. I, yeah, you'd, you'd oust me. It's not bad to have stuff. I'm just, whatever. All right. I'm pretty much in trouble no matter what happens at this point. I remember for me, like, I was, uh, you've, some of you have heard my story, but I was drug addicted sexually immoral, full of anger and hate. I was fighting since I was a kid. I was fighting. You know, made fun of as a kid, and so I tried to fight my way out of that. You don't respect me, you're going to make fun of me? Fine, I'm going to make you. That's how it was. I remember the first time I went off, I called the war mode. It was in fifth grade, and I had gotten made fun of far too many times. And so I heard this kid outside making fun of me. I was overweight and all that, and something clicked. I called it the war mode. This thing just shifted. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not trying to say every man has, has this, but I might, I might advocate that. It, doesn't, it isn't always handled properly. That's why we've got to teach them while they're young to follow Jesus. But I, that thing shifted, and, and, and all of that pain and that anger I unleashed on this one kid, and, and I never turned back until I met Christ. And it was, I was just an angry, hate-filled young man. And the night I met Jesus... I was in, I can't even explain to you how bad it was, and I'm not even exaggerating. I don't want to glorify the sin, but it was horrible. I still, I'm 40, I'm turning 41 years old here in a couple weeks, and I still meet people that go, Ben Dixon? Ben Dixon, what? And then I, of course, you know, I'm going to share the testimony of Jesus. (laughs) 
I still get like Facebook messages from people that used to know me back in the day, which, which, I mean, I would never send a Facebook message of somebody I knew like, you know, 30 years ago. I don't know how that happens, but, you know, and then ask them why they're, you know, not as horrible as they once were. I've never, I've never even thought about, <laughs> just never thought about doing that, but I mean, I sure, I know people do it, but I just thought, why, <laughs> you know? Um, I know where I come from. I preach passionately. It's not, it's not, there's no show. There's no show in this. Um, same is true for many of you in this room. You, you love Jesus, right? He says, re-engage with what you did at first. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. I, I remember doing things like this. My friends would take me to a church, and I didn't, I didn't know Pentecostal, charismatic, hands raising, hands in your pockets. I, I didn't know any of that stuff. So we'd go into this church, and I just love Jesus. Love Jesus! You know, I'm delivered, healed. I'm happy. I'm happy. I hear his voice. I heard his voice, and he loved on me. I heard, the first thing I ever heard Jesus say to me personally was, I love you, and I always have. That's why I wrote a book called Hearing God, not because I'm a crazy charismatic, although I am charismatic. <laughs> I heard him speak to me. We go to these churches that weren't charismatic, and I'd just be raising my hands, and I never looked at anybody else. I, at that point, I didn't care. I was like, Jesus. And you look around, and everybody's looking at me. <laughs> what is this guy doing? I don't even know what I'm doing. Hey, how you doing? Hey. We would go to bowling alleys in those days. That's not the thing today, but uh, you don't go anywhere anymore. But we, we, used, to, we used to, you go home. <laughs> you go home. <laughs> People. <laughs> you know. We'd go to bowling alleys in those days, and uh, my friends would always joke with me because they'd turn around and I was gone. I was always sharing the gospel with people. And, and I mean, it was, people didn't respond very well. It was like, you're a joker, and I'm not, I'm not interested in Jesus. You know, I don't even want to be like you. I mean, there was... I got a lot of responses like that, you know, before I ever got a testimony of somebody coming to Christ. I tried to get a hold of all my friends. I'd go to church, and they would talk about the prodigals and praying for souls to be saved. And so I was like, yeah. So I'm calling all my old friends, and they just think I'm crazy. I was like, yeah, I'm crazy in love, man, you know. I could tell you stories. I remember I saw one guy I used to get high with. I saw him at uh, Safeway at, uh, up, up where I had a condo. And uh, he was talking to me, and I knew. He was, like, thinking, hey, let's go do what we used to do together. Let's go. You know what I'm saying. All right. So, and I totally let him on. I'm, this is absolutely true. I totally let him on. I went back to my, I had a condo there in Kirkland, and we totally went back. He's outside uh, on my patio smoking a cigarette, thinking we're about to get high. And then I just literally, for, like, an hour and a half, share my testimony of meeting <laughs> Jesus. Had no problem doing it. Didn't even care at all. He got more than he bargained for, you know. I mean, it was... I wasn't, even do, I wasn't even doing it because I was trying to come and share a testimony with you. It wasn't a sermon illustration. It wasn't how great I am as a Christian. I just loved Jesus. And I thought in my mind, why don't you? Oh, you must not love him because nobody's ever told you about him. I get it. I get it. See, what happens when, I'm just, for me, I was so dark. It was so dark. My mind was so dark. The way I saw people, the way I saw women, the way I saw men in authority, it was so dark. And I'm talking like 24 hours, and I walk into my home, and my dad looks at my face, and he says, you gave your life to Jesus, didn't you? He could see it in my face. He could see it in my face. 
Remember the heights from which you have fallen. You know, the Bible says, Jesus actually said this. He said, those who have been forgiven much love much. But love isn't just about words. It's also deeds. But those deeds cannot become a substitute for our communion with God. I want, I want to say it like this. Our communion with God is what all of the other things in Christianity flow out of. And when we lose this, all of the other things, if we still do them, they become religious routine. And Jesus is saying, I don't just want a better performance from you, I want a better relationship with you. And it's in that relationship, it is in that love relationship that all of the other things that I'm asking of you, they will absolutely flow out of. The tree, the apple tree produces apples if it's healthy. The Christian will produce fruit if it's healthy. What does health mean? It means that there is this love relationship with Jesus. I wrote this years ago, but I, I was barely journaling at the time. And uh, I was really young <laughs> in those days. I mean, I'm young, but I was really young, you know. I've got like 100 kids now. I don't feel young at all. I wrote this. Tonight, I'm reminded of a 19-year-old young man. This was only like a year or two from it, so I was certainly older. Tonight, I'm reminded of a 19-year-old young man who was angry, drug-addicted, lustful, full of hate, until one night, a night he will never forget. That night, Jesus spoke to him and said, I love you, and I always have. And he gave his life to Jesus. No preacher, no sermon, no altar call. Nobody was even in the room. I was, I was sitting on the floor in my bedroom which I never do, and I never did. His anger and his hate left. His drug addiction was no more. His desire for immorality was replaced with a holiness to act righteously. I didn't try for that. I didn't try to be holy. My appetites had changed. His heart was new. It wasn't anything he did. It was simply that he met a real God and his life was transformed. Regardless of what happens for the rest of my life, God is good and I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I just want to remind you today that Jesus is calling your heart to be passionately in love with him. His indictment against the Ephesian church was not that they didn't have good beliefs. It was not that they didn't have good deeds. It was that they had left something that was the most important thing. And maybe we've done that. Maybe you've done that. Isn't communion the best way to refresh our relationship in Christ? I think so. The body of Christ was broken for our brokenness. The blood of Christ was shed to establish a new covenant between us and God. Father, we thank you today for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we also pray that you would refresh our relationship in you. I pray that you would bring us back to first love, that we would recapture this place, restore to us the joy of our salvation. We're not asking for just hype and excitement. We're asking for the simplicity of devotion to Christ, where we see your beauty. We behold you in such a greater way. Lord, I pray that we would lift our eyes 
from the things that we're seeing and focused on and even experiencing right now, that we would lift our eyes and see you and come back to the place of communion with you where everything else flows. And not only does do the things come out of that time, but they're right and they're righteous, starting with our motivation, our motivation to serve you, to honor you, to follow your word. So Lord, make us this church. At Northwest Church, we pray that we would be those people, a church that has the right priorities. And so wherever that's true, Lord, as we read your message to the Ephesian church, we ask that you would commend us, but we would also receive that complaint and we would repent. We turn from every other thing and we turn towards you today as a church. We thank you for what you've done in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.